0: You are listening to the Magnetic Marketing Marketing Secret Gold Members Only Podcast. So we're going to talk about the five things no one else will tell you about money. And it should not surprise you um, that I will suggest to you that I'm going to tell you things pretty much no one else uh, will tell you. And these are not technical things for the most part, so these are not, you know, how does an upside-down Roth IRA uh, work? So anyway, number one is that uh, money is not concerned with who has it. I need a little mark here to get this right. There we go. Money is not concerned with who has it, only with its own reasons for movement. In a sense, money has a mind of its own. And that's why pretty much all efforts to force it to go somewhere uh, that it doesn't see the merits of going fail. Always have, always will. As you are well aware, we've been... Uh, fighting a war on poverty in America since Lyndon Johnson declared it, and we have spent literally trillions of dollars, and we have more and worse poverty than we had when we started the war because money refuses to go there and stay and fix anything. Warren Buffett, who we're going to talk a little bit about uh, in my other presentation, uh, says that one of the most important things with stocks is that the stock doesn't know you own it. So people have these emotional reactions, right? To a stock they own, to the business they own. And you should understand that you reinvest in your business every day when you decide to stay. I had a client years ago who had built a very large network marketing company And he said, if I knew when I started what I know now, I wouldn't have been in this business at all. And I said, today would be a really good day to exit if that's how you feel. So we make a decision every morning to invest, to buy our businesses. You get up in the morning and you buy it on Monday and you get up on Tuesday and you buy it again. And on Wednesday, you buy it again. So you should have really good reasons to do so. And you should understand it, it doesn't care that you own it. It is essentially an inanimate thing. It's not a person. How many of you have pets, dogs or cats? Okay. So here's what we all do. I do it with our dog. You do it. We do it with my race horses. We project onto them human personality. You think you can have a conversation with that thing and that it gets it. So our dog, the 1000000000 dollar dog, it'll sit right there and I can talk to it and explain to it, I'm going on a four day trip, I'll be back in five days, yada, 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 and it'll cock its head and wiggle its ears and act like we're we're communicating. It isn't, of course. It just knows that at the end of this, whatever this BS process is that this idiot human insists on doing, I get a treat. So it'll sit there and pay attention like it actually comprehends. It doesn't comprehend any It's a dog, right? I mean, so we do that to stocks we own. We do it to businesses we own. We get emotionally involved with them. Money is profoundly unemotional. It doesn't share your sense of morality. See, if it was moral in the way we think about morality, where would it all go? To the neediest people. Money would literally be leaving your wallet as you sit here and heading down to the impoverished part of Dallas, wherever the homeless people's tents are, and it would arrive there and stay there. But, we, uh, but people act like it has our human morality. No, it is rational by its own mind. So the task for the entrepreneur who aspires to wealth is to really understand why money moves from person to person, place to place, refuses to stay or stays, so that you can align yourself with it. So as you are well aware right now, um, we have something we haven't seen in America for maybe 50 years, a mass popularization of socialism. So this is Reagan's explanation from 1981 or 82, so keep in mind the frame of reference is the 80s. This is Reagan's explanation of how socialism works. This can help you explain it like to your millennial who's gonna vote or your 16 year old, if they have their way, who's gonna vote. So Reagan told the story of the young man in Russia who uh, wanted a car and so he worked three jobs and he lived on bread crusts and beans, and he slept on a cot in Mama's house in order to save up money in order to go get a car. And he finally had the money to go get a car, and in Russia, there was only one car. It was called the Yugo in the 80s. The government manufactured them, as the government, Elizabeth Warren wants the government to manufacture drugs because the government does such a good job of running things. So... The only car you could get was a Yugo, and it was kind of a to-do to be allowed to get one because they really couldn't make many, so they had to ration cars a lot. So you first had to go to this bureaucracy office, and you had to explain why you wanted a car, and you had to demonstrate that you didn't just want one you needed a car and you had to demonstrate that at least four other people in your family or your housing unit were going to share the use of the car. So once a kid cleared that hurdle, he then went to the second bureaucracy where you had to prove where the money came from because most people couldn't afford to buy a car in Russia. And since you could, the government wanted to know where every penny had come from that you stacked up in order to go get your Yugo. So the kid cleared that hurdle. Then he finally gets to go to the office where you actually buy the Yugo, which is a very simple process. There's no salesman because there's nothing to sell. There's only one car. There's no options. It's pre-priced, and you just buy it, It's sort of the predecessor to Carvana. So he goes and now he fills out all the forms and he has the money and he's ready to get his Yugo. And they accept his order and he says, when can I pick up my car? And the bureaucrat shuffles some paper and he says, exactly 10 years from today. And the kid stops for a second and he says, well, morning or afternoon. And the bureaucrat says, what difference could it possibly make? It's 10 years from now. And the kid says, well, the plumber's coming in the morning. (laughs) So that's Reagan's explanation of socialism. Socialism is, of course, a construct, right, to force money to do certain things that by its own rationale, it does not want to do. And so... Every time it's been tried, every place it's been tried, the force is required. It is always sold first and then imposed and enforced second. And people try and force the money to go do certain things. And the money resists, and the money runs out the back door as fast as it's going in the front door. And as Thatcher said, it sounds good on paper, but sooner or later you run out of other people's money. And then you have Venezuela which last week they all broke into the zoos and they ate the zoo animals because they have no food. This week they have begun eating their household pets. I'm not kidding. Mm -hmm. And when they run out of pets, what do you think comes next? Slowest neighbor. This is what happens when you try and force money to act in ways that it does not see merit in. So the getting out of your own way about money is being able to set aside your set of merits and analyze how money actually operates. This is Mark Twain's lament. A man invents a thing which could revolutionize the arts, bless the earth and produce a mountain of money and who will bother with it or show any interest in it? So you are just as poor as you were before, but you invent some worthless trifle to amuse yourself with and would throw away if left alone, and all of a sudden the whole world is infatuated with it and outcrops a fortune. How can this be fair? Here are two products that Duane would put in that category. Uh, this is a stocking cap with a light on it, on its top, so that you can find your way around in the dark. This is the unisex rechargeable LED light-up beanie. 49 Rechargeable battery not included. Mm-hmm. This... Um, This product here, down here in this corner, is a golf product. Um, Bob Willis is here somewhere, likes golf, because golfers are nuts, in case you didn't know. So this is the GPS Audible Golf Range Finder. It clips on your hat, and it's the first GPS device that announces, because looking at it, you know, too much, announces the exact distance from your ball to the center of the green. And the free app has all that data stored on 30,000 golf courses worldwide. And that baby is 89 99 Now Twain would hate both those products because people getting rich on them, which they are, is something he would class as unfair. Really, wealth should come. Twain was a liberal, in case you didn't know it, and a frustrated entrepreneur. So we know Twain, most people know Twain as an author. He was an inventor and an entrepreneur, and very frustrated with it. So he would think that all the wealth should come, all the money should move about, For necessities. You should get rich on toilet paper, but you shouldn't get rich on the GPS, golf course, distance doohickey that talks. And that's an example of how we get in our own way with money. Clients will say, I don't get it customers need this which I have brought to the market and they are ignoring it and they are buying stupid stuff from stupid people. I hear it at least once a month from somebody and they are merely voicing Twain's lament and they are revealing their ignorance about money and how it moves. So the thing to know is that advertising, marketing, and selling are nothing more or less than applying the rationale by which money moves to a person, place, or thing for a focused commercial purpose. So let me give you an exact example. People think that people should want to lose weight for their health. If you would like to go broke in the weight loss business, as quickly as possible, make that pitch. Tell that story. Run that advertising. Weight Watchers just tried it. At the same time, they idiotically erased their name Um, a brilliant move and became WW, they began running ads that talked about being well, sleeping better, and being happier. This little experiment lasted about a month because nobody responded because that's not why people go on a diet. The top ten reasons that people go on diets are all E-factor stuff, emotional factor stuff. For example, revenge. People go on diets, mostly women, after the divorce sparked by the cheating. It's one of the top five reasons they go on diets so that they can lose all the weight and be visible to the X, preferably with a new guy who looks a lot better than the X. One of the all-time greatest performing advertorial style ads in the weight loss industry was written by a guy by the name of Bud Weckeser in the 1960s. And it is all about what I just described to you. Now, that's, we would think that's not a moral reason why money should move to a diet company out of people's pockets. It's not an admirable reason why money should move uh, to a weight loss company out of people's pockets. It's not a good reason, but it's a reason. Weight loss is very, is very life event driven. If you sell weight, weight loss, you sell by the factor I just described. You sell by class reunion coming up. You sell by wedding in the family coming up. And you sell by summer vacation, beach season coming up. None of it has anything to do with being healthier, living longer, living long enough to see your grandkids graduate from college, none of that stuff. So you've got to get out of your own way on this a lot. Number two. Our second thing that a lot of people won't tell you about money is that very little of it comes from wealth or invention. Invention is greatly overrated. So you've all got a smartphone, right? You've all got one. Some of you are sneaking looks at it even as we speak. And it's a wondrous device, because it's not a phone. It does all sorts of other things, none of which are an invention. It's just absorbed a bunch of other stuff. Cameras, recording devices, CD player, which replaced the Walkman. He just took a bunch of stuff and managed to shrink it and put it in that device. They didn't invent anything. Furthermore, they didn't invent the phone. There's no invention there at all. So people are very inspired to have new ideas. So I don't want a new idea. I matured out of that in my 20s. I'd really rather not hear about one. I try not to take a client who has one. I want to take proven, reliable processes, systems, products, services, and apply them in a new place or in a new way that a market will be responsive to. I do not want to invent. Pioneers come home full of arrows. Almost all first stage companies now that become giants and venture capital pours millions if not billions into them, disappear. Somebody comes along and picks up the pieces and figures out how to make the thing actually work. So, for example, Uber, which is going to go public, I think, this year, with some insane valuation because it's never made a profit, has no idea of how to make a profit. Its cash burn rate month to month is diminishing a little, a little, but it is basically a giant black hole into which investors pour money. That's what it is. They have no profit model. They have a business model, but they don't have a profit model. And it's a practical matter, they probably can't. What will happen to Uber is, as they just settled this $20 million lawsuit, what will happen to Uber, my prediction is, and to Lyft, um, is that they are going to lose this, these people are not employees, battle. And as soon as they have to pay them minimum wage, benefits, uh, take out Social Security, take out Medicare, their whole economic model, as crappy as it is now, really turns into crap. They can't do it. You can't have, in Las Vegas, last time I saw the stat, Las Vegas, there's 38,000 Uber drivers. So you can't have 38,000 people logging on and off, taking two taking two drives to get enough money to buy their recently legalized marijuana and then not working for 5 days while they play video games and smoke. So you can't run a business that way if they're your employees. You need to run what's called a cab company. So they're going to lose that bet. So you can't the government cannot allow 38,000 people in one city to be 1099ers and the employer is not paying matching funds into social and Medicare, especially if we do Medicare for all. Hillary said so in the last campaign, by the way. Most people just kind of missed it. But she made this point herself. So there, the first wave of the ride-on-demand business. They invented it and they'll be gone. Somebody will come behind them and figure out how to apply the idea in a more practical way. If they wanted to take it away from them right now, the guys to do it would be Amazon. So this is with business after business after business after business. The inventors get clobbered as much as they get rich. The people who figure out how to commercialize an idea, they are the ones who do well. And you don't need a new idea to commercialize. There's stuff in your own business to be commercialized better. There's stuff laying around to be commercialized. There's stuff, things are so poorly marketed. So George Foreman, who spoke at uh, the Info Summit several years ago, so how many of you have a George Foreman grill? Raise your hands nice and proud and you learn more looking around at them than you do do, do looking at me. Okay, so the George Foreman grill holds the record for the most units sold of any kitchen appliance ever, ever. And the buyout of George Foreman's contract at the time was the richest celebrity deal in all of history. Now, I want you to think about that. Because the product was a dog for years before it was the George Foreman Grill. It was one of those kitchen appliances that only gets sold in October, November, and December in the kitchen appliance section of Macy's. They trot these things out every year for the last-minute shopper buying a gift for the mother-in-law. We don't know what to get her. Let's get her some weird-ass kitchen appliance that does two or three different things and hopefully will be hard to use so it will frustrate her. So, so if you go to Macy's as a Christmas shopper, you will find a whole section of this stuff. Right? It's a blender, toaster, video, conferencing combo. They trot them out at Christmas time and then they put them away because nobody will buy this stuff to use for themselves, right? So this is what this countertop grill was. It was one of these dog products that they brought out at Christmas time, put on the shelf at everything from Walmart to Macy's for about two and a half months, sold some of them, and then put them away. In other categories there's the same thing. See this stocking cap with the light on it? They've been selling slippers with lights on them for at least 10 years. They only bring them out at Christmas time. People buy the damn things for their fathers and their grandfathers, and nobody would ever buy these things for themselves, and then they go away again. That was the countertop grill. Some guy saw it and said, huh, if we demoed it so people could see what it did and we got a really cool person to do the demo on TV, we might be able to sell a ton of these things. Then we can force the retail market because it's on TV every two seconds, and we can force the premium market So banks, for example, bought hundreds of thousands of one model of the George Foreman grill to use as a giveaway. They would not have done that if the product wasn't seen on TV. So there's nothing new there. There was just smart commercialization of something that already existed. These are laying around everywhere. My friend, the late Joe Cosman, did it with the ant farm. How many of you had an ant farm when you were a kid? The ant farm, for those of you who don't know, is kind of like a little miniature aquarium. It's plastic, you can see through it, and it's full of dirt and ants. And so you can watch the ants make their tunnels and move dirt from place to place and place. Kids really like it because their moms don't. And so, But here's what the ant farm was. When Joe found it, it was a product being sold only by school supply houses, only to biology teachers in public education to have in their classroom. Very limited market. Kostman said, kids would love this because their moms all hate it. We can sell a crap load of them. I'll take the rights to everything but the school market. Thank you very much and I'll commercialize the Ant fund. So money moves because of commercialization, not because of invention. Some invention is necessary, or ultimately there would be nothing to commercialize. But money moves mostly because of commercialization, not invention. You never need to have an original idea in your life And it probably would be better if you didn't, if you really focused on commercialization. So I'm going to give you one sort of as a side point, an example of a commercialization strategy. It may very well apply to your own business as that business exists now. Or it could apply to something you bring in to your business. A great commercialization strategy is called place strategy. It means moving something from the place it is in to a different and unobvious place. The ant farm is as good an example of it as any. Like out-of-category advertising is an example of it. So... Ken Fisher, who's going to speak to you. Ken is, um, as I said yesterday, his company is maybe one of the greatest current examples of classic lead generation advertising. The business was built on it. The business continues to be fueled by it today. You will be hard pressed to open up a print magazine that has anything to do with money, personal finance, Etc., and not find a Ken Fisher full page lead generation ad giving away a free report on this, that, or the other thing. It's classic direct response. You can't watch cable news, click around from Fox to Fox Financial to CNBC, and not see TV commercials every day giving away free reports from Ken Fisher's company. Classic lead generation. Here's something he doesn't know. Don't tell him because I hate giving away secrets for free. There are places that have nothing to do with money where the same ad or the ad slightly tweaked could very well outperform the ad being run in the logical and obvious places. I would test it, for example, in boating magazines, classic car magazines, any magazines that reach people that have $500,000 or more of investable assets. That's a place strategy move Because, see, it's not about the subject of the media. It's about the person reading the media. So that's place strategy. It is one of many ways to commercialize what already exists. So your current business is probably being commercialized in a relatively small defined space of logical and obvious. Most people's businesses are. I tell the story all the time about the the jewelry the pop-up jewelry store at the racehorse auctions. If you go to racehorse auctions, there's exhibitors just as there are here and they're all selling horse related stuff. So they're selling safety vests and colors for drivers and helmets and harnesses and bits and nutritional supplements. And equipment, etc., etc., etc. At every resource auction in Ohio, there's one exception, and it's a pop-up jewelry store. And it works magnificently because, when guys go to resource auctions, their their wives ask, in this tone, "You're not going to buy another horse, are you?" And the guys all say, "Of course not. I'm just going to keep Bill company." Bill uses the same script, I'm just going to keep Dan company, and then we all come home with a horse, and everybody has discovered if you have a lead shank with a horse attached to it in this hand, but if you have a, a, a diamond tennis bracelet in this hand, and you wave it hard, <laughs> she might not see the horse. So the jewelry guy does great. It's important to understand he doesn't belong there. But he's taken his existent business, he owns five jewelry stores in malls where they're supposed to be. And he is commercializing it in a place he's not supposed to be. Why? Because money is there. Broke people don't go The racehorse auctions. Broke people do go to the mall, but broke people don't go to a racehorse auction. There's money there, and the money will move for an emotional reason, having nothing to do really with jewelry or the reasons you think your husbands or boyfriends should buy jewelry for you. No, we're buying jewelry store to sneak jewelry to sneak the horse into the barn. That's how money moves. Money loves reasoned confidence. So the more you do that, you are certain of. Typically, the higher your income and the richer you get. People are very flitty. It's a, da- it's a hazard of being at any event like this because you will see other people's businesses that seem to be greener pastures you will see new, bright, shiny objects. And you will be tempted to flit. Oh boy, I'll do that. Oh boy, I'll do that. Oh boy, I'll do that. But what you really should be looking for is ways to improve, strengthen, ease and accelerate what you are already doing that you are certain of that works. So like dentists are famous for being recruited into health product MLMs. My question always is, are you at 100% capacity in the practice? You can't fit another patient in. So you got to do something else. Well, No. Well, what capacity are you at? I don't know. Be a good number to know, dummy. Let's go look. 60%. So why go do something you don't know anything about that is a giant experiment for you and carries a big learning curve when you have not yet maxed the capacity of what you know you will get certain results from? Not smart. All right. So Munger, who's Buffett's partner, famously says, we have three baskets. Everybody else has two. We have three. In, out, and too difficult for us. Doesn't mean it can't be done. Doesn't mean somebody can't do it. Doesn't mean somebody won't do it. But it doesn't fit with what we know how to do with certainty. Warren says, we have been successful because we concentrated on finding one-foot-high hurdles we could easily step over, not because of some superhuman ability to defy gravity and leap over tall buildings in a single bound. So this says, look for the soft pitch. Look for the one-foot-high hurdle and jump over it as many damn times as you can. People get bored. I spoke for nine years, 25 to 27 times a year, on these big public seminar events, um, mostly in basketball stadiums. Uh, average body count, 15 to 17,000. Uh, Our biggest was 35,000 and something in Tampa. Um, And after the first four, when I arrived at a presentation that delivered certain results, I could count the house, and I would know when I walked on stage within a small range of variance how many units of the magnetic marketing system I was going to sell at the back of the room in 75 minutes. For the rest of the nine years, I did not change a word. Not a word. I didn't change a gesture. I didn't change the timing. The AV crew could set their watch by when I was going to do this, And say that. Because I hit it every time. Hard not to get bored. Zig Ziglar, almost every morning, would sit there and fool around with his presentation. I want to put something in from the news. I want to put something I just had this conversation with the person in the coffee shop, and I want to tell this. And Zig would tell you, I outsold him in dollars per head. Not because I was better, because I got something that delivered certain results and I applied it every which way I could, but I didn't deviate from it. We took that speech and we turned it into a long sales letter that went to everybody who didn't buy had arrived the next week and said, you made a horrible mistake. You didn't buy this stuff. There's a few reasons you didn't. Reason one, reason two, reason three. Now let me tell you why you should. And the rest of the big, long, I think it was 28 pages, sales letter was nearly a word-for-word transcript of what I had done on stage. Why? Because it works, certainly. So, the trick is to apply it in as many different places and as many different ways as you can. So, money loves reasoned confidence. It is attracted to people who know what the hell they are doing. It's that simple. If you are doing a lot of what you know delivers certain results, that's better than doing three times as much, four times as much, five times as much of stuff you don't know the certain results from. People who get and stay rich say no a lot more often than they say yes. This is antithetical to the entrepreneur. So it is a major thing we have to rein ourselves in on because our instinct our impulse is to say yes to just about everything so the and the more successful you are the bigger the problem because the more visibly successful you are the more people march into your office figuratively or literally with ideas and you go oh boy let's let's do that Let's do that idea. I, um, I have a friend here I kind of saved. Um, there's this thing called Bitcoin. Everybody got infatuated with. Our industry got infatuated with it. People, so I know one, for example, long-time member of ours, brick-and-mortar business, I won't name the business, I won't name the state, but maybe one of the ten most successful of its kind in the country, about 15,000, 16,000 of them. He certainly was in the top ten. Took his eyes completely off the business to chase Bitcoin. Not just to buy the stuff, to coach others in how to buy the stuff. So, the Wall Street Journal yesterday, uh, Bitcoin is in the longest slump of its 10-year history, forcing even its most ardent supporters to shelve dreams of global disruption. Uh, the big, long article, not only is Bitcoin in the toilet, um, the copycats are in the toilet, the blockchain companies that were going to move all this crap around from place to place, uh, they're in the toilet. And tons of people maxed out their credit cards to buy this crap, go to seminars about it, put seminars on about it, create coaching programs for it. And many of them had very successful businesses that were nowhere near capacity. Even if it was real, it's stupid. Now, if you know anything about the history of scams, you would have known instantly it wasn't real. Furthermore, if it turned out to be real, there would be plenty of time to make money as an investor in it later. You don't have to be first. That's not how these things work. I resisted Amazon for years. I was a big skeptic. I came to understand something about Amazon, and on the day I did and I understood something different, I bought a crap load of the stock. Amazon had already been in existence for I don't know how long but a long time when I bought it on a big downturn of a 1000% gain at this point I didn't buy it when Bezos first talked about it or went public the same is true with other stocks so people who get and stay rich say no a lot more often then they say, yes. Number three, successful use of direct mail and print is required. Many people will tell you the opposite today and they will do everything possible to drag you away from offline media and drag you to online media exclusively. Paper, envelopes, stamps, magazines, expense. Facebook's free. Well, there's two quick facts you should know. One, there is above a million dollars a year. There is no such thing as an e-commerce company. They do not exist. They all use offline media. I'll show you an example that just came in my mail. I mean my real mail. This is from LinkedIn. It has a little plastic tip-off card on it with a deadline on it to save 50 bucks on my first job post. And it's a printed sales letter. Now, they don't know what they're doing. Don't misunderstand me, okay? So for starters, the back is blank. Well, you can't be dumber. Paper's expensive, ink's cheap. So they don't know what they're doing, all right? They have mailed this to me because why? because they can't get enough people to respond to them with online marketing, even though they are an online company selling the use of online media exclusively to hire people for your company. But they can't get enough customers, so grudgingly, they have let the kids experiment with direct mail. Now, they're screwing it all up. That's not the point. The point is they feel compelled to try. That's the point. This also comes with a printed brochure. I would like to have been in that meeting. Brochure, brochure. What's a brochure? Oh, it's that thing your grandfather has at home from AARP. Oh, really? So this is a trifold. Two sided, give them credit, trifold brochure with their sales letter. Google and Facebook are huge print advertisers, TV advertisers, and radio advertisers. They own online media, it really is free for them. They own it but they can't generate enough business with it. So in order to convince you to use it as your advertising media, they have to advertise in printed magazines. The largest e-commerce convention in America every year sends me Last year was a 36-page printed catalog of everything that was going to go on at the e-commerce convention to get me to register to come to the e-commerce convention. Why? Because they have to. If you think anybody on LinkedIn likes this, I assure you no one does. But they have to. The other thing to know is that online media is, by its very nature, fragile and perverse. Same issue of Wall Street Journal. Facebook is removing age, gender, and zip code targeting for housing, employment, credit-related, and financial services advertising. So think about that. Yeah, you can advertise on Facebook. However, you can't segment what you're doing anymore by age, by gender, or by zip code. On the week is this. On Tuesday, you could. On Wednesday, you woke up. And you couldn't. Nobody's mucked with this since I was the kid's age and before. You can get an envelope. Pretty much the same thing you got in 1950. You can print stuff. You can put it in the envelope. Nobody tells you what you can say, nobody tells you what you can't say, and you can pick zip codes, and you can pick gender, and you can pick all sorts of other things, and you can send it to them. And that's not going to change. And you have to worry about the post office going out of business because it's the one of the world's largest welfare systems for union employees. So from a political standpoint they could be down to me as the last person using it and there's still going to be 3000 post offices in america and they're all going to be going to work in their uniforms every day so it's politically safe you can't find wealth anybody's any companies not tied to offline advertising and marketing. You can't find it. That tells you you can't afford not to be there. The crash commercial reminder is my mid-year event is all about direct mail and print this year and coming here we had 19 seats left and there are packets of information back at the No BS store. Number four. Wealth purely from earned income is extremely difficult to come by. If for no other reason than our tax strategies, tax system. It's very hard. Some people can do it. If he doesn't blow the money, inexplicably, and I mean inexplicably, the New York Giants just made Eli Manning highest paid football player ever. Ever. I can throw the ball farther than Eli. I mean, really. But if he doesn't blow the money, purely through earned income, 400 million dollars or so is a lot of money. Bryce Harper in baseball, a lot of money. But these are, you know, exceptions doing things that you or I are probably past any reasonable opportunity of doing them. For the most part, getting to wealth by earned income is very, very hard, if for no other reason than our tax structure. So you need either leverage and or equity to be sold at a multiple. So leverage is accessible to everybody in really every business. There's all sorts of strategies for it. Duplication and multiplication is one. I'm not sure if Dr. Tomshak is speaking here or not. Does anybody know? Okay, so Chris, Chris and I go back to his decision to franchise chiropractic clinics. And so, give or take, the franchisor is taking 10% of the gross. It's actually probably seven or six, but I'm going to do simple math. So let's call it 10. So he had three clinics, of which he had 100% of. He now has 300, of which he gets 10% of the gross. Not the net, The ones he had 100% of, he got 100% of the net. If it's 50% overhead, you can do that math. If it's 60%, this is of the gross of 300 units by leveraging his business system, in this case, multiplication by franchising. Which is he better off with? A hundred percent of three, or even four or five, or ten percent of the gross of three hundred. Do the math on your own, you'll have to use your device, but you can trust me for the moment, the second is a lot better than the first. It also plays into the equity ultimately to be sold in a multiple. Hard to sell three. You know who you sell three to? Three other chiropractors who you have to finance. And then when they screw the thing up, you've got to go repo it, fix it, take it back over. That's who you sell three to. 300, lots of buyers, big company buyers, right, El Checo, for a multiple of their worth, So leverage and equity. In the renegade millionaire system, Um, I teach uh, simultaneous deposits to present bank and future bank. So this is a form of leverage everybody can put into their business. So I'm going to take you back through it, if you already know it, in a few minutes this morning. So present bank is current income. It's how most people evaluate whether business is good or bad. So if you ask a restaurant owner, how was your weekend? He's going to answer you in present bank numbers. He's going to say, we were full. He's going to say, we did X number of dinners, and it's a big number. It's almost all his capacity. He's going to say, it was great. A lot of people bought expensive wine. We did over X thousand which is more than an average weekend. He's gonna give you a present bank number. And that's fine, but it has no leverage. The problem with present bank, amongst other things, why it doesn't lead to wealth, is because most people spend it. Most business owners' lifestyles track their income increases. You're probably guilty. I was for 20 years. So we buy better cars, we buy bigger houses, we remodel this, we fly first class instead of coach, we, it's, we pay bribes to get our kids into school, We you know, on and on and on. So the present bank money goes in and you probably can't show me the, a dollar you made two weeks ago. It's probably come, and it's probably gone. Future bank can't be spent immediately. Therefore, it tends to accumulate to trigger income or equity later. The strategy you want to master is present bank, future bank, done simultaneously. Almost every business can do it. So when I was speaking a lot, 70, 80, 90 times a year, and on the road constantly doing it, which is why my real age is 108, because you do like dog years for the years you're on the road. You multiply it by seven and, you know. I've been on borrowed time for a while. The present bank money was fee if you got it, plus what you sold that day. At those big events, every day was at least $100, a $100,000 day. However, that's just present bank money. There's no leverage in it, there's no future equity in it. It's all taxed has earned income in its current year. The more of it you make, the more of it you give away in taxes. etc, etc, etc. Lifestyle expands with that income. Gee, you're netting 100 grand a month now. We got married. We were not netting nothing. We should have a better house. It's actually hard to argue against that. It doesn't make sense, right? So, every time I spoke, in the process of selling you a magnetic marketing system. So who in here bought a magnetic marketing system at one of those events? Let me find somebody. Okay, Uh, you and you, and all the way in the back. So what year? I'll do Dennis. That's fine, Dennis. So what what year? Okay, so nineteen ninety-five. This is two thousand and nineteen. Here he is. You have any idea how much you've spent since nineteen ninety five? All in. Me, no BS Inner Circle, its predecessors. Maybe more. Um, I'm the better bargain, by the way. Um, So the sale I made to him for $278 on a Thursday in 1995 is actually quite irrelevant to wealth. Getting him, keeping him, monetizing him without always having to put him in a room and do manual labor to get the money is where the wealth comes from. So let's take a restaurant. That guy you ask, how was his weekend? And he says, it was great. We did 5,000 and we usually do 3,000. It was great. Every table was full. So here's his future bank number. The number of first-time customers, data captured, including birthdays. That actually should be the statistic he answers you with that he's more excited about, if he understood present and future bank. Because if I have your name and your address and your email and your phone and I know your birthday and I didn't food poison you when you were there and I have the person you were with their birthday, I have certain opportunity. Ninety percent of Americans go out to dinner to celebrate their birthdays. Everybody has one every year. They're spread out over the year. Some people have them in one month. Some people have them in another. 60% of the people who go out to celebrate their birthday in a restaurant take another couple with them. So they bring a new first-time customer in when they come whose data we can capture, etc. If I'm any good at all in marketing, and I have that list, I will be able to monetize Dennis every year the month of his birthday. Plus, he will bring me another one. They will bring me another one. The really smart restaurant owners who use this marketing strategy do birthdays, half birthdays, so we can monetize dentists twice a year, not once a year, and wedding anniversaries. So if the restaurant owner said to you, oh, yeah, we had a great weekend, we got 46 new 3x5 cards filled out with people's names, addresses, and email addresses and birthdays, and wedding anniversaries on them, that would be the wealth answer. He will give you an income answer. That would be all the leverage in his business. So most businesses, of course, don't do this at all. They don't really work at monetizing past customers. I just saw right before I came here in our little community newspaper, a two-page, full-page ad spread by the local company that does power washing. They come out to the house, they power, after winter leaves, they power wash the driveway, they power wash the house, they power wash the deck. I used them three years ago. Never heard from them since. But they're spending money on two full-page ads in the damn newspaper when they could have, like, called me. They could have sent me a postcard. We're going to be in your neighborhood. You can save 20% if you book while we're there. It's been two years since you had your clean. It looks like crap. Call us. See, that would be where the leverage was, eh? because they wouldn't incur the cost of new customer acquisition. Right now, I am going to call them, but they have incurred the entire cost of new customer acquisition a second time to get me to call them, because I'm calling from the two pages in the damn newspaper as if I never used them before. If they did a really good job with this, they might not need to run two big full page ads in the community newspaper. Hell, they might not need to run any. So that's where the leverage is. So this last thing that people won't tell you about money is, they don't tell you that all money is not the same. So when you have an income number, oh, we did 50 grand this month. Big month. Maybe, maybe not. Where did the money come from? In getting the money, did you also get any future bank from which you will have leverage? I'd rather have less current income and have it all create future bank at the same time then I would have more present income and have it not create future bank. All right, so nearly the last thing that people won't tell you is that goals are vastly overrated. This, by the way, great minds run in the same gutter This is from a Titanium member and client member of mine, uh, Dr. David Phelps. This is his newsletter this month. I'm sorry having a goal is not enough. A lot of what's taught to people about goals falls into the category of magic and mysticism. It's a version of build it and they will come set them and somehow they will happen. The only quarrel I ever had with a metaphysical speaker friend of mine who I employed for a number of years, um, who spoke exclusively about money and wealth, is he would teach people the write your five goals on the three by five card, tape it to the back of your refrigerator, never look at it again, go back and get it in five years and you'll be amazed at how many of them came true. This implies that the act of writing and taping the card on the back of the refrigerator somehow makes something happen. Trust me, it doesn't. You could write a list of the five people you most wish would drop dead and put it... (laughs) and put it on the back of the refrigerator, and it is gonna have zero impact on who drops dead and who doesn't. Feel free, by the way, and if you pick old and reckless ones, somebody will drop dead in five years that you put on the card, thereby validating the magic and the mysticism. But it's nonsense. That doesn't mean that thinking through goals isn't valuable, it is. It's a good idea to know. Somebody came up to me and asked me about um, the second titanium group, Titanium Brick and Mortar, which has openings in it, by the way. And my immediate question was, you know, the question was, here's the business, which already is business. Is it really appropriate for me to be in there? My question was, 30 seconds, where's your business now? Where are you trying to get it to? So you've got to kind of know. But the idea that that itself really drives anything, it doesn't. So you can go online or you can go to your AAA office and you can get a trip all laid out for you. Right i want to i'm I want to drive to Orlando from Cleveland, and they will lay the whole thing out for you. your GPS will do it as you go, but they'll give it to you all in advance and here's where the world's largest ball of twine is. so if you get off route four, you can see that, and here's a good place to stop for the night and here's you can go get all that if you never drive out of the driveway. It doesn't get you to Orlando. It's unacted upon goals. There are people that do this, by the way. You know, their hobby is bucket lists and goal-setting, the 20 trips they're going to take that they never take. The, it's like confusion of goal-setting with work. Because the truth is doing the work is vastly underrated. And even if you are temporarily operating without a lot of clarity about the goals, but if you do the work, you'll achieve more than if you don't. So of the 50 richest, currently richest, Fiction authors, James Patterson, J.K. Rowling, of the 50 richest current fiction authors, how many of them do you think start their book with an outline the way you were taught to do it in school? Full character profiles the way you would be taught in a writing class, knowing how it's going to end in advance. What do you think? Ah, Who said all of them? None of them. None. Not one. Not Lee Childs, who writes the Jack Reacher novels. Not Rowling. None of them. They do the work. They start writing. Some have a general idea. Lee Childs, who writes the Jack Reacher novels, will tell you he doesn't know who's going to appear. He doesn't know how it's going to end. He doesn't know, shit. He starts right, now he's got a formula. If you know the character, he's this ex-veteran, veteran, military veteran guy, cop, who's now kind of loose. If you saw the movie with Tom, the, don't forget that Tom Cruise is Jack Reacher. Is most ridiculous thing ever. Jack is a six-foot-eight big guy. And the formula is he just roams around. He doesn't have a house. He doesn't. And so the formula is Lee Childs drops him in someplace. Oh, I think I'll drop him in a small town in South Dakota this time. And he encounters something, and he gets involved. That's the formula. But here's what Lee Childs does do. Every morning, he gets up, and he gets some coffee, and he goes to the computer, and he does the work. He writes. Now, that's what all 50 of them have in common. They write. So clarity is a wonderful thing. Lack of it is often problematic. But even more valuable is doing the work. Is figuring out what your high-value work is and doing it Whether you know exactly where it is taking you today, this week, or this month, or not. People are often interested in me being prolific and churning out as much as I do. I haven't created an outline in I don't know how long. It's not how I work. And the stuff you get on a regular basis, I just do the work every day. I write. Oh, this interests me. This will probably interest them. I'll load it in. And a lot of it never gets used. Because I wasn't writing to strict boxes to start with. So how many are Diamond members? Hell's wrong with the rest of you? Um, so how, how many of you like the weekly faxes or emails if you get them? Good, 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 good. How many would so if I told you that for everyone you see there's five that go in the trash can that I wrote, how many of you would like to see the five? Yeah. See that by the way, that would be an easy sale, wouldn't it? I'm not offering it. I'm just telling you, for every one you see, there's five you don't. And candidly, in some cases, the ones you don't see are a lot funnier and a lot more interesting, but I'm not ready quite yet to totally end my career. (laughs) Miltier and I, Lee would love to monetize, letting people hear, our private phone conversations we could we both know we could make a lot of money briefly so people believe that to move money around they have to have this crystal clear defined plan for how they are going to do that. Let's remember, Bezos started out to build an online bookstore. This thing was not the grand scheme that people would give him credit for, which he freely admits. Edison was both an inventor, an entrepreneur, and a charlatan. So he raised a ton of money from investors for inventions he had no intention of making and then made something else that was actually practical. And in many cases, the loser led to the winner. So the fifth and last thing you need to know that a lot of people won't tell you is that more fortunes lack the grand scheme behind them than have them. People wind up in a different place than they thought they were going to go, and doing their work took them there. So you will figure out what your work is, what your highest value, highest skill, highest interest work is, and do it every day. It will lead you to productive goals, and it will attract and it will organize money. So I say that money only remains a mystery to those who prefer the mystery. There are lots of people who prefer the mystery. All poor people do. You know how we know they prefer the mystery? There's a free public library. There's abundant opportunity. Speaker, you're good here tonight. Started with 587 bucks. Built a $100 million company. By the way, it happens all the time in this country particularly in this country. So a lot of people prefer the mystery. It's a version of preferring good excuses to achievement. It ain't that mysterious. There's some fundamental reasons why money moves from person to person, place to place. They're not that mysterious. They're not concealed. You can figure them out. If you take everybody on the Forbes 400 list and you go get their biographies and their autobiographies and you read them, all the secrets are visible. And and, and there's common threads. Everybody's different, but in many ways, every wealthy person is the same. So take these five, find another five, Try not to get super distracted from them. Do the work and work with what works. Exploit the unused capacity that exists in what you already know to do for certain results. Thank you very much. That's my time this morning you've been listening to one of our gold members only podcasts make sure you upgrade and become a diamond member and get access to the diamond members only podcast as well on top of that you'd also get access to the whole enchilada with all dance courses and so much more so make sure you upgrade to diamond now by going to diamondupgrade.com